You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape, and my eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands out to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. All right, guys, morning. 2019 looks really good on you guys. Uh, Joyful singing, smiles, hopefulness. Uh, maybe some of your resolutions are going great so far. Some of yours. Uh, okay, so today is the begin, beginning of Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday. Traditionally, Epiphany is the season that begins 12 days after Christmas. There really are 12 days of Christmas. And uh, we come out of the Advent season remembering the birth of Jesus Christ, anticipating his glorious, triumphant return. And what Epiphany does is Epiphany celebrates the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Typically, this is a season that centers around the story of the wise men. The wise men from, uh, from the east, they see the star on the sky, and they come to Jerusalem to see what this star means, and for them to point them in the right direction to where this king, this king will be revealed, the manifestation of this king. This is actually a word that we may actually use in our vocabulary, epiphany, but what it simply means is to show something, to make known And the idea is that this burst of light has broken into the darkness that now leads us to life, it leads us to truth, it leads us towards hope. The the Apostle John, in his prologue to the gospel, says this, In him, speaking of Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what Epiphany reminds us is that Christ is that light that shines into our darkness. Amen? Christ is that light 
know what you're probably thinking. Then what are we doing in this psalm? Why, why a psalm like this? Why are we looking at a psalm like this? Why Psalm 88, which is literally the darkest psalm in the Psalter? In fact, of all the psalms, this is one of the only ones that doesn't resolve. Even when psalms get sort of depressing at the very end, they'll be like, but I know that you're good, God. How about this one? It ends in darkness. Literally in the Hebrew, the last word is darkness and seen curtain <laughs> over. There's no mention of light. Darkness seems to have the last word. And similar to how our lives can become, and maybe your life feels right now, it's hard to see the light of Jesus Christ here. Leonard Cohen once sang, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. Where, where does the light of Christ come in? It comes in through the cracks of our brokenness. Through our Psalm 88 moments. Charles Spurgeon uh, once said that when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, they set them against a black velvet backdrop. And the contrast of the jewels against the dark velvet brings out the luster. And in the same way, God does his most stunning work when things seem bleak, when things seem hopeless. What better place for the brilliance of Jesus Christ to shine? See, wherever we find pain, wherever we find suffering, wherever we find desperation and hopelessness, there we will find Jesus. That's where we will find Jesus. What Psalm 88 shows us is that this black velvet backdrop isn't just darkness in general. Yes, Jesus came into a dark world. But Psalm 88 makes this far more personal. It, it highlights the darkness of our own experience. See, this psalm is a, a personal lament. Look at me, verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles. My inner being is just filled with trouble and angst and anxiety and hurt and pain and suffering. This is describing someone who is overwhelmed by trouble. Now, we don't know what specific event led them to this point, we don't. But what we do know is at this moment, this is an individual who feels alone. This individual feels unheard. This individual feels afflicted like they are drowning in life, that they are weak and helpless, and that their companions have pushed them away. And now they're at their point in their life where darkness is their only friend. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Okay, before there was Simon and Garfunkel, there was Heman the Ezraite of Psalm 88. He's in a place where hope is bleak, faith is severely challenged. He's got more questions than he does confidence right now. And now all he's got left to offer God is desperateness. Maybe that's where you are today. I don't have a lot to offer God, but I'm desperate. You're in a good place. You're in the place of the psalmist. You're in a holy place. You're in a cherished place. You see, this isn't strictly personal. This is, we find this in the ancient hymnal of the people of God. The Psalms are intended to be read and recited throughout every generation. Now, you may be here today 
and you're not in a dark place. Maybe things are going great. I'm six days into my resolution, and I'm killing it right now. Maybe you are, maybe this, maybe, in fact, maybe perhaps it's even foreign this morning to engage such a depressing psalm like this. Maybe, maybe it's work to even listen and, and to pay attention to what is being read today. That's okay. Because just as we invite those who are afflicted every single Sunday to join with us in rejoicing in the Lord, in the same way, we are being invited, maybe those of us who are doing just fine, to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are not. Do you know that God's plan for transformation in your life is your ability to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? So I don't know what kind of mood you're in this morning. I'm kind of in a goofy one. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't exclude you from engaging a psalm like this. It does not exclude you. One reason why is because eventually you yourself are going to find yourself in trouble. If you're not in trouble right now, you will find yourself in trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So here's here's the promise, not if, but when. So we might as well prepare ourselves for trouble. The second reason that we can engage a psalm like this, no matter what mood we're in, is that because this is an invitation, God's invitation to you to become a better companion to your brothers and sisters who are desperate right now. To be a better companion, to stand in solidarity with those who are hopeless, who are floundering in their faith, who are hurt, who are wondering, who have more questions than they have confidence, to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, to weep with those who weep. So no matter where you are, the psalm is inviting us in. What I want to do this morning is I want to share a couple insights from this psalm, beginning with this. Wherever you are, God invites you to cry out to him. Wherever you are, God invites you to cry out to him. Now, how do we know what God is like? How do we know God? What is God like? How does God act? What does God look like? What Jesus tells us is if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So how do we know what God is like? We, we look to Jesus. Well, then how do we know what God, how God interacts with people? How do we know who God welcomes into fellowship and relationship with himself? What we do is we look to who Jesus engages with. As we begin to read throughout the Gospels, which, by the way, next week, as Deacon Kimball mentioned, we're starting a long series in the book of Mark, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. But as we read through the Gospels and we see the life of Jesus, we begin to get this very clear, crystal clear picture of who God engages. The tax collector, the the marginalized, the sick, the oppressed, the demonized, the prostitute, the poor, the outsider, the divorcee, the adulterer, the rejecter, the doubter, and on and on and on. Pretty much anyone and everyone that religion at this time would not associate with. And there we find Jesus moving in, getting close, in proximity, in fellowship with. What we realize is we make this extremely important connection here. Is that wherever we are, God is available to us. Whatever we are, whoever we are, wherever we've been, heck, whatever direction you're moving right now, God is available. And Jesus welcomes us into intimacy with him through repentance and faith. 
And even when we, when we wrongly assume that God is unavailable to us, sometimes we get in this place, well, like, God must not love me. God, God you, you don't understand where I am right now. You don't understand what direction I'm moving. God must not be available. Even when we wrongly assume that God is unavailable to us or that somehow God has pushed us away or rejected us, he refuses to leave. He's available. He's not sitting there getting his feelings hurt. Listen to how the psalmist describes God in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So whether or not we're on cloud nine today or we're in the pit, God is available. Even if you tried to shake him, you couldn't. Whether I'm killing it at life or life seems to be killing me, God is available. And God welcomes us to cry out to him. The second thing the psalm shows us is that God provides space for honesty. What this psalm is doing right now is creating a space, creating a reality in our presence, a place of honesty. Derek Kidner, who is a commentator on the Psalms, he said this, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness of God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. He knows your language when you get into that desperate space, and God is creating a place for that. This psalm is intentional space carved out in our lives and carved out in our community and carved out in the kingdom of God for the man or the woman who is struggling, for the person that is fearing and questioning and doubting. What this does is it gives us words to express those things. God, I am troubled right now. God, I am in the pits. I feel weak. Things are really dark. I feel very overwhelmed right now. I feel repulsive. I feel, like, I, I feel like my life is over. He's giving us language for that. See, one of the most difficult things that I hear from time to time is when someone disengages from this community because they feel like this is not the kind of place that welcomes doubt and struggles and mess. We have to take responsibility for that. That people somehow feel that. But here, here's the misconception. The misconception is that the church is a place only for those who have strong faith and where their life is all together. So they stub their toe and they never blurt out a bad word, right? Darny darn darn. Someone offends them, they bless them in the name of the Lord in, in Latin and everything, like go in peace, my brother, splash them with water. They never struggle, they never fear, they never question, they never doubt. But then, oops, God lets psalms like this one slip through. But then God gives us psalms like this that only seem to kind of blow open those assumptions, doesn't it? And on top of that, God lets a guy like this Help write a book of the Bible. You catching that? 
The, God, the guy that's saying, God, I don't even know who you are anymore, just wrote a psalm. The person that thought their life was completely over and their future was nothingless, nothingness. And here we are, thousands of years later, repeating his lament. Here we are thousands of years later and his legacy of honesty right in this moment is creating a refreshing safe place to people who are otherwise on the fence as to whether or not this is the kind of place that they could belong. God's creating safe place in the community of believers who would have thought for his people to be honest. Honest with God, honest with themselves, honest with one another. The third thing that we see is that faith is at work in your struggle. Faith is actually at work in your struggle. See, I've had, I've had quite a few conversations with men and women in this church that at various points have struggled with their faith, myself included. And there is often this fear that their struggle or our struggle is a really bad thing, that it's sort of the beginning of the end for us. The, beginning, the, the moment we begin to doubt, the, be, the moment we begin to, to struggle in our faith is really just the beginning of our, the end of our, our Christianity. And so what I typically ask is a variation of the same question. Here it is. Can a dead man wrestle? Can a dead woman fight? And the obvious answer is no. And so my response is, then you need to recognize that your wrestle right now is a sign of life, and it is not a sign of death because dead people don't fight. Dead people roll over. Dead people give up. Dead people stop showing up. Dead people don't fight. Those who have been awakened by the spirit of God and been gifted the gift of faith are those who wrestle and struggle and fight even when it feels like it's within an inch of their life. That's where the psalmist is right now. He's an inch away from perishing. He's an inch away from just going away into nothingness and oblivion. And yet, here's a testimony of God's faithfulness. In our life. And that's what we see. At first glance, it doesn't appear like there's a lot of faith represented in this psalm. But if we know what we're looking for, we actually begin to see it all throughout. For instance, look at me in verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you every day. Now, yeah, probably this, the, this psalmist is, is saying things that are unfair. And the psalmist is saying things that don't necessarily represent God very well. But guess what? He's saying it to God. He's saying it to God. You realize that the most important thing about your prayer is not your eloquence, the most important thing about your prayer is not your, even your accuracy. What makes prayer meaningful is who you're praying to and who you're praying through. So think about, where's he bringing his honesty? Where's he bringing his questions? Where's he bringing his frustration and his depression and even his doubt? He's bringing it to the God of his salvation. He's bringing it into the presence of the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, he still recognizes that Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God, that this God is my God. This guy is struggling hard, 
And he is questioning just about everything in his life. But listen, he keeps showing up morning and evening. That's faith, my friend. That's faith. It's messy. It is not well put together. This, this is like a train wreck, spiritual train wreck. But he is bringing his mess into the presence of God morning and evening. That is faith. Amen? Another example, verse 2. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear I'm sorry, incline your ear to my cry. So what's the psalmist doing? He's asking God to listen. God, will you simply listen? As much as he's frustrated with God, as much as he's doubting God's kindness in his life right now, he's even implying that darkness is a better friend than God. It's a little bit backhanded there. Despite all of these things, he's still asking God to incline his ear. I really believe that this is the perfect prayer for those who are right now in this moment struggling in their faith and wondering specifically, you know, if God even hears them. This isn't the confident prayer that we see throughout the Psalms. Sometimes the psalmist says, I know you hear me. I'm confident in your presence. I'm confident you're near. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. And Lord, if you would just please listen. Here's the good news. This, this psalm doesn't demand that you have absolute confidence that God is listening. Be honest right now. Can any of us actually say when we pray, we have 100% confidence that God is listening? See, the good news is God is not waiting to listen to your prayer until you reach the sort of critical mass of faith. You're at 98, you're getting close. Pretty soon, then I'll listen. God's not waiting for that 100%. He simply requires that we ask. I listen. That's faith. Look at me, verse 15. I am helpless, or as some of your translations read, I am desperate. Truth is, sometimes we are triumphant in our faith, and then there are those times where all we can do is just reach our hand to God. I don't even have the words. It's like Romans 8. There's just like these groanings too deep for words. Just God, whether we're triumphant in our faith or all we can do is just lift our hands to God regardless what we need to remember is that the strength of our faith is not based on the amount of our faith the strength of our faith is based on the object of our faith Jesus himself is recorded in both Matthew and Luke saying that a mustard seed is enough to take the Sierra Nevada and throw it into the Pacific you ever seen a mustard seed? It's like half a roly-poly. We're not talking about amounts here. A mustard seed is more than sufficient. Not about the amount. Faith is about the object. And faith is far less about our ability to believe and far more about our humility to simply recognize our need. In fact, probably one of the most faith-filled prayers that we can pray is God I need you. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of desperate, fervent, God's listening kind of faith. God, I need you. Because what it is, is a humble acknowledgement that you completely lack the resources that are necessary to fix yourself or to heal yourself or to save yourself. 
I find it interesting that the psalmist opens up this psalm, O Lord, God of my salvation. He's recognizing here something, that salvation seems to be found now nowhere else. You know how this person keeps showing up morning and evening? Even though right now he's like faith. Well, he's just not the poster child for faith right now. You know why he keeps showing up? I think it's because he's finally been so disappointed with himself and so disappointed by life enough that he's realizing that help is found nowhere else. Our prayerlessness is probably an indication that we're still searching horizontally for that which we can only find vertically. You just haven't been disappointed enough to pray morning and evening. You just haven't been let down enough by yourself or people. It's coming morning and evening. Now, it may sound odd, but there, there may be no better place to discover God's grace than in your struggle with pain and in your struggle with doubt. It's when you come to the end of your rope. It's when you get in that place where you realize that you just are absolutely out of control. That there are those circumstances in your life where you just absolutely cannot change them. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much sleep you lose, no matter how much energy you exert towards changing this thing, you just can't. When you know that you can't save yourself, when you figure out that people are eventually going to let you down, when you realize that even your faith is going to fail you, it's there at the end of ourselves that we discover God. This is how one author put it. For it's precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting. When every possibility of help from earthly sources has been sought and is not forthcoming. When every resource this world offers, moral as well as material, has been explored to no effect. And in the gathering darkness, every glimmer of light has finally flickered out. It's then that Christ's hand reaches out sure and firm. Then Christ's words bring inexpressible comfort. Then his light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. Why are we in Psalm 88? Because we need to explore all the world has to offer and come up wanting really come to grips with the darkness of our lives and the world around us apart from the intervention of Jesus Christ. And it's just then as that last little flicker of light goes dim that we begin to see the light of Jesus Christ. Now you may be in a similar place as the psalmist where, where you too say this morning, all I see is darkness in my life. All I see is darkness in my world. But what you need to remember is that though the darkness has the last word in the psalm, Darkness does not have the last word in God's kingdom. Does not have the last word in God's kingdom. The other morning, uh, my, my youngest son and I woke up really early, and we both looked out the window just to see this one star at the same time. It was weird. And uh, it was a, I don't even know if it's a planet or star. I don't know. Some of you guys probably know what it is. But it's off in the south, and there were no other stars in the sky, but this just super bright light. And so we, were taking, we started taking guesses as to when the star would sort of disappear as the sun arose that morning. And what we both knew, my seven-year-old and myself, was that 
the dark sky that we were looking at was about to be overcome by a new light. Something was about to change that would completely change the landscape of the sky. In one sense, it was going to be the same old sky. And in another sense, it was going to be completely renewed. And this is the arc of human history, according to God's word. According to the book of Revelation, that there is a light so bright that is coming that will outshine the sun itself. Where there will be no need for a sun, there's not going to be a need for a moon. What's that light going to be? Revelation 21 tells us this. Its lamp is the lamb. There will be a light that outshines the sun, the moon, the darkness, your hurt, and your pain. Your dark chapter may be short. It may last a week. It may last a month. It may feel like it's never ending. I don't know. It may actually last your entire life. But for the child of God, it is only a chapter in a larger story of God's redemption and light. Jesus said in John 12, I have come into this world as light so that whoever, and I mean that, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. To those who just can simply stretch out their feeble hand to me, they will not be stuck in darkness forever. That is a promise that we can bank on, church. Amen? That your future is bright. The gospel tells us that Jesus, the light of the world, took on flesh and stepped into our darkness. God became human. He came to us. He faced our same temptations. He faced uh, and learned rejection. He felt our pain. He experienced what it's like to have prayer turned down. He suffered death. He experienced the actual wrath of God sweeping over him. He was placed in the pit of death. He experienced everything that the psalmist is describing here and so much more. Why? To deliver us. To deliver us. St. Gregory from the 4th century said, what Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. And what that means is if there's any part of our humanity, any part of our human experience that Jesus was unwilling to experience, where he said, I'm not willing to go there. That's too painful. That's too rough. That's too isolating. That's too lonely. If there was any place in our human experience where Jesus says, I'm unwilling to go, then there would be no hope of that area being healed. The gospel tells us otherwise, that he has, that he's gone there. And it's precisely by the nature of him taking upon himself our sin and our struggle and our darkness that he brings his healing light into our lives. What this does is it doesn't just simply give us some sort of knockdown argument for our doubts, and it's not giving us just some sort of pat answer for our suffering, and our hurts. What the gospel offers us is nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ, a Savior who stands with us, a Savior who delivers us, a Savior who stands with us in our Psalm 88 moment to heal us, one to love, one to trust, one to follow, and even one to praise. Let me conclude with this as I welcome the worship team up. The psalmist asks a series of questions. 
And I think they're intended to be rhetorical. I think they're intended to be obvious no's. For instance, verse 10, do you work wonders for the dead? God, do you, like, if I'm dead, what, what, what sort of wonderful thing can you do? Do you work wonders for the dead? But in light of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. Well, verse 10, do, do the departed rise up to praise you? In light of Jesus, the answer is yes, we will. Okay, but is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? And through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because of Jesus, we too can rise up and praise God and declare his wonders and declare his love this morning as well. Amen? In just a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us to rise to our feet, and we're going to sing in our second set of worship, and we're going to declare the wonders of God and his steadfast love that is even declared in the grave in light of Jesus Christ.